It was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each might by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happened to fall against its broad and sturdy side and at once began to bawl. God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. The second feeling of the tusk cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp to me it is very clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal and happened to take the squirming trunk within his hand, thus boldly began to spake. I see, quote he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out an eager hand and felt about the knee. What uh, most this wondrous beast is like is very plain, quote he. "'Tis very clear the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth who chanced to touch the ear said, "'Even the blindest man can see what this resembles most. Deny the fact who can, this marvel of an elephant is very like a fan.' The sixth no sooner began about to grope about the beast than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope, "'I see,' quote he, "'the elephant is very like a rope.' And so the men of Indostan, disputing loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceedingly stiff and strong. Though each was partly right, all were in the wrong. And thus began college for an 18-year-old who was a little bit skinnier, had a lot more hair gel, and was named Jamie. My first day of school, the best professor I ever had, a guy named Jeff Carroll, Great big guy walked into the room, all these nervous young freshmen, and he just began to recite this with great sound and fury from memory. A story of a bunch of blind guys arguing about what an elephant is. And so one good morning this morning to South Point. Welcome everybody online. We have argued about a few things in 2020. <laughs> That's the reality. Everyone has a strong opinion that, yes, this is my piece of the elephant. I know what I'm talking about. Like, as we've been walking through this uncharted series, we just said, hey, look, we're all having the same conversations. We're all going through the same weird, uncertain times together. What makes our conversation different? And if 2020 has showed us one thing is, man, you cannot see eye to eye with everybody. There are plenty of things to argue about. And so today, we're going to address that a little bit. We're going to talk through what do we do when you're dealing with conflict? Like, what is the biblical response to conflict? Because the reality is, it's going to come up for all of us. Now, what we can find at times is, you can be like a blind guy. And you can go, no, this is my piece of the elephant, and I am right. Or there's times where maybe conflict actually moves us forward in the gospel a little bit. But before we even really get to how we deal with conflict, I want to address one thing that comes from Paul. It comes in Romans chapter 12. If you want to look there, you can follow along on the screen as well. And again, thank you, CJ, lifesaver there. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, Paul says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now that one verse, man, if we could just adopt that if we could just live in that moment our conversations with people and our interactions with people would look a little different because this is the goal instead of conflict we are striving for peace 
Paul says this, and he's talking to believers. And so if you're in here today and you say, yes, I, I have a relationship with Christ, like this is our calling, that we live in peace with those around us. Instead of conflict, we look for peace. Because the reality is right now, in September of 2020, and pretty much most of this year, you are in like the perfect environment for conflict, right? There are just so many different things happening that just set it up to where you live in a time where conflict just seems to poke its head up so often. Why? Because, well, there's a lot of tension right now. Like there's tension about work. There's tension about school. There's tension about November. There's tension about relationships. There's tension about any and everything. There's uncertainty. Last week we said, you know, David goes, how long, O Lord? And we said, you know what? If I just knew hey, everything can go back to normal in 90 days. You know what? I can suffer through 90 days. I can, I can get through that. I can trudge through. But right now, it's just uncertain. Like, we don't have the answers for that. There's an environment for tension because we're all experts now. <laughs> no, 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 no laughter. Yeah, like, we, we find ourselves in that spot, right? Like, everyone's now an expert. Thanks to all friends and family, like I'm about to add to my degree. Like I'm going to take it out of its diploma, uh, little, little uh, uh, frame, and I'm going to start writing more things on it, like international relations, um, uh, world peace, anything to do with medicine. Um, because we all know that, right? And look, if you're in here wondering, I wonder if he's talking about me. I'll say this, I am not, but I'm going to reference someone. It's actually someone related to me, and I know they can't get on the internet. I have seen things posted by people, I'm like, you want to be an expert, and you put that article up, I don't know if you can read it. <laughs> like, that's sometimes what happens, where people are just so sure we're experts about everything. And then, the fact that we have social media, right? You want to add the opportunity for tension? Throw social media into the environment. Because I know some people will go, whatever I say on social media, I would say in real life. That is not true. Here's how I know. College football started back two weeks ago. I have yelled things at my television during college football season to grown, grown, grown men that would hurt, hurt, hurt me. And I feel very comfortable saying it to that television screen. You need to get this together. And, man, I'd throw some other stuff in there. There isn't a chance in life that I would say that to that person's face because that would literally be the definition of my mouth writing checks that my body cannot cash. I wouldn't say that in real life, but man, we get social media, you go, man, I'm, I'm staring at a screen and I feel comfortable. And so, man, we are in the perfect environment for conflict. But yet you got Paul going, hey, live in peace. Paul still dealt with this as he's talking to these people. Man, there were so many issues that they could argue about. There were so many things going on. But he said, look, as far as it's possible by you, live in peace. Don't always go looking for conflict. Don't look for the worst in someone. I saw something earlier this week, and I'm not going to even get into the entire story of it, but it did make me think a little bit where it just kind of talked about, hey, 99% of people aren't jerks. 99% of people aren't out in the world doing stupid stuff. 99% of people aren't racist. But a lot of times, and because we have so much media driving wants and needs, we don't look at the 99, we look at the one. And we don't look at it in the one sense of Jesus going off to get the one sheep. We look at that 1% and we judge everything by it. Let's look for the better in people. Like, as we live in peace, remember that, hey, when I look out and I watch what people are doing, a lot of times I see people doing the right thing. I need to celebrate that. And yeah, when that 1% comes along, we'll deal with it. But a lot of times we always just look for the negative in the situation when God is doing so many good things in our lives. 
And he says, as it depends on you. Like we have to ask the question, am I contributing to a resolution or am I contributing to a problem? And that's a hard question to ask sometimes because sometimes when we, we take a step back and go, man, I might not be making this situation better. If you have kids, you know what that looks like. <laughs> There's times where I've argued with a child and I'm like, I am not helping the situation right now. Like I need to, need to take a step back and do this a little bit differently. And then you also have to remember those involved. A lot of times we look at the world and go, what are you doing? When the reality is the world doesn't know what it's doing. Look in Romans chapter 8 and verse 8. Paul writes this. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those outside the church, those outside of a relationship with Christ, dead people don't make the right decision. And a lot of times we judge them by the standard that we are to be held to, and we forget, man, that person, I'm not saying it's an excuse, I'm saying it's a fact. It says, Paul goes, man, they, they can't even think in the realm to do what is right. And a lot of times we, we fight back and we get into arguments and we don't see eye to eye with people when they don't have eyes to see. And in fact, if instead of sharing our opinion, we shared the gospel, we would feel a lot better. Like during this time, notice I didn't say you would feel perfect. But you feel a lot better. If, like, if we shared the gospel as much as we shared our opinions about things, we would feel better inside and we would watch what God does with that. But so many times like we get into conflicts with people and we forget, hey, they're just not in a spot to even know the right thing to do. But the reality is sometimes you're going to get into a conflict with somebody. And sometimes that conflict is going to be among believers. And so really the bulk of what I want to look at today is, hey, when conflict arises, like what do we do with that? Like if something in, I know this is a make-believe world, what if two people in a church didn't agree about something? It happens a lot. Like what do we do with that? So look in Acts chapter 6. Actually, to get to that, I'll say a couple things. One, conflict is an opportunity for gospel advancement. So many times we look at conflict and we think of it's just an argument for argument's sake and it's something that no resolution is really going to come. We, we want to think about, as believers, we want to think about the resolution. So the first thing is this, conflict is an opportunity for gospel advancement. And here's what that looks like in Acts chapter 6. In verse 1 it says, Now in these days the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose between the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up teaching, or we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, pick brothers, or, uh, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Procurus and Nicar and Timon and Berenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Even in really, really good times, a church can have problems. I, I love the early church and I, I, I hope within heaven... I get the opportunity to just hear stories from the earliest believers because this is one of the sweetest times in church history. 
man, people talking about they had everything in, in accord and like they're, they're selling stuff so they can take care of these people and they're not worried about the stuff they're selling. They're more worried about taking care of these people. Like it's just a sweet, sweet time. Like the, the early church had so many things to be thankful for. Like the early church had direct memories of Jesus Christ. Like these are people that are going, you, you remember when Jesus did this? Like we read about it and yet these people could sit around a dinner table and just have these unbelievable times of fellowship as they talked about, hey, remember when Jesus healed that person? Yeah, that was insane. You remember when Jesus did this? Yes. Like they had so much good going for them. They had a sweet sense of fellowship. They got to see lots of new believers. Every day the gospel was going out and people were coming to Christ. It says even priests, these people who were so ingrained in Judaism are going, no, that was the Messiah. Jesus was the Savior. And they're, they're turning to him. And so they're watching numbers and numbers of people just suddenly showing up to these gatherings and teachings. Like they had so much good going. They had solid leadership. They had Peter. They had different people who were apostles, these guys who had direct contact with Jesus Christ. They're watching miracles be performed through them. They had so much good, and yet even in all of that good, you had a conflict that arose. Man, they're trying to reach out to people. They're trying to feed people who are hungry. They're trying to take care of widows and orphans. And you had one group that came in and said, hey, you're doing a good job over here, but what about, what about these women? They're not being taken care of. And so you had the opportunity right then for people to get into one of those good old-fashioned church arguments. I mean, let's just divide the room, butt heads, get mad, say things that aren't in the Bible, misquote scripture, all that kind of stuff that happens. But instead, they said, you know what? We can let this issue divide us, and this can be the first church of Jerusalem, and we'll go over here and start second church of Jerusalem, and then when we get really mad, we'll have Greater Church of Jerusalem, Third Church of Jerusalem, Saint Mount Zion Church of Jerusalem, all that thing. That's why we have so many different names in the church world, right? They said, we can be divided on this, or we can deal with it, and deal with it in a positive way, and we can actually let this bring us together. And so as the church grows, issues come up. But here's what they did. They didn't let it divide. The apostles at the time said, hey, the job that we're doing right now is unbelievably important. There was a group of men that every day would go into synagogues and they would teach and proclaim the gospel for hours. And they had kind of divided this up, but it was one that they said, hey, what we are doing right now, we understand God has called us to this. This is our mission. This is unbelievably important. We're not going to let this take us away from that. But there is an issue and we know there's a conflict here and it's got to be resolved and so they said, you know what, let's raise up some new leaders. And I fully believe this is where the office of deacon comes from. Stephen, the first deacon. And this group that they prayed over and all this kind of stuff. And these guys said, you know what, you have this ministry and this ministry is extremely important. God's given us this ministry and this ministry is extremely important. So we're going to go and we're going to take care of that. And so this is how conflict gets dealt with biblically. The first thing they did, they prayed. They sat down and they said, God... Don't let this tear us apart. God, don't let this pull away this peace and unity that you have given to the early church. And so they just began praying. And then they started listening. So many times we send prayer that way and we forget we got to listen to what God is saying. And so they began to listen to what the Spirit was saying. And the Spirit was saying, hey, I'm going to raise up more people. Empower other people. And so they acknowledge the issue 
They didn't let it tarry for a long time. Like they didn't avoid it and just go, well, let's just not think about it. No, they said there's an issue. Let's deal with it. And so many times when it comes to conflict, a lot of times we take a step back and go, well, maybe it'll fix itself. And that's just not how it works very often. They went to it. They went to it respectfully. And they said, hey, we want to raise up some new people. And in prayer, the Spirit prompted those people and said, hey, I'm, I'm kind of being raised up here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take over some of these positions, and I'm going to do some of these things, and it gets resolved. When you deal with conflict in a biblical way, lives are changed. So what does that look like for us? We're not the early church. We're the church of the 2000s at this point. So what does that look like in a modern-day sense, like when conflict comes up? What does that look like for South Point? The first thing I would say is you need to have a holy discontent. Let me explain what that is. Years ago, a guy wrote a book where he talked about this term, holy discontent, and he told a story. He told a story about a guy who ran a a landscaping company, very successful, and he went to his church, and every Sunday he would pull up and go, man, this looks like trash. Why don't they mow the grass more often? Why don't they plant some flowers? Why don't they do some things to give it a little better curb appeal? And he did this for months and months and months. He would just, every Sunday, he'd get to church and he'd look around and he would be very critical of it. And then one Sunday, he pulled up and he went, why don't I do something about that? I own a landscaping company. I know what to do here. I know how to make this better. And so he went to the church leadership and he said, hey, I just want you guys to know I'm taking care of all of your lawn stuff now. I'm not charging you for anything. Um, Here's what I want to do and I'm going to start this week. And then it wasn't long before that church was known for having this beautiful, beautiful landscape and well taken care of and just said, you know, we love our, the property that God's given us. But it took that guy getting to a point where he had what we call a holy discontent, where it's not just discontent to be mad about something, but it's when you look around and go, why isn't that being done? And you realize, I could do that. And so for us today, as conflict arises, as issues come up, We look around and go, hey, what's my holy discontent? What do I look at? And I moved in such a way that I don't just complain about it. I want to do something about it. I want to make this better. I want to to see this happen. That's why a lot of times people come to me and go, hey, what about this at the church? I'm like, why don't you do that? (laughs) Like, God's gifted each and every one of us in so many different ways. Like, why don't we step out and do something with that? Why don't we start some ministry? Why don't we take charge in that and go, you know what? I want to be a part of the solution. That's why I'm unbelievably thankful. Um, Shoebox, Ben Ravensways, they kind of stepped up recently, started some college ministry. You guys saw that? If you kind of fall in that young adult range, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, go and be a part of that. And I love that we just had some conversations weeks ago, and they said, hey, We don't see this happening, but we want to do something with it. And that happens over and over again. This is one area I'm very thankful within our church that people are so driven to make this place better. And I'm thankful for that. And so today, as conflict comes up and we go, hey, what's not being addressed in the church like it was in the early church? We go, one, we have a holy discontent. And then we, we think outside the box sometimes. That's why we have online service. This is actually one of my goals for 2020. I was like, I want to be able to stream our service so if, if people are traveling or if people are just going to have to be home for a week or something like that. And then uh, pandemic said, well, we're going to move that date up a little bit. And here we are. This is one of those times where you do that, it advances sometimes. Like as we deal with conflict, you got to think outside the box. 
And when you do that, it advances the gospel. Here, you had one of the most important offices in the church that arose out of that. And today, we have the opportunity to reach out to anyone in the world. We have had people watch in other countries, other states. It's amazing what happens when a little bit of tension arises, but it makes us think beyond the gospel. And then sometimes we have to think about other things, too. Um, last week, we put the chairs in the, in the back. Uh, we hadn't had those out in a while. Yes. Months ago, I went to Ronnie over here and Cindy, and I said, hey, I'm pulling chairs. We'll get, we're going to get people moved up a little bit. And they were like, well, how do we get them back? I was like, well, you just get more people here. <laughs> they got more people here. <laughs> we kind of hit a spot where, with the way we're having to space things, sometimes issues come up, and we got to think beyond that. So... We're in early, early talks, know this, like it's not anything that's happening tomorrow, but at some point we're probably going to have to go to like multi-services, and that's kind of a big thing within the church world, that's one where we're going to talk with everybody a lot, uh, ask some questions about, hey, what times work better, there's a lot that goes into that, but this is what happens, like it's one that I've seen that divide churches, and I don't want that. That's why I'm saying it now, so we can go ahead and start doing these processes. Let's pray about it. Let's listen. Let's seek God out. Let's acknowledge it. Let's deal with it, and let's do it in the right way. Because when we approach issues, and we approach it from a biblical standpoint, these people weren't yelling at each other. These people said, hey, the gospel is changing people. Let's deal with this in the healthy way. And then you just see where it says, and their numbers increased. Disciples were multiplied greatly, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A number of people came to faith because they watched believers come together on an actual issue, but they didn't let it divide them. See, when the church stands unified, even in the midst of a conflict, the world sees that. Our community sees that. Our neighbors see that. But at the same time, so many times when we think of conflict, If I'm in an argument, and this is just me, no one else, I kind of want to (laughs) win, right? Like that's that's what our mentality is when we go into any kind of conflict. If I don't see eye to eye with someone, it can be something trivial about how one school is better than another. It can be something much deeper about a scriptural issue, but I kind of want them to get on what I see. But what about this? What if conflict is an opportunity for grace? Because that happens. Look in Galatians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 6 and kind of set some things up. Paul writes this, he says, And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry uh, to the circumcised worked also uh, for me uh, through mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, to kind of set this up, Paul has been in ministry for a while. You have to understand also Paul's background. Paul didn't start out as an apostle. Paul started out as a Pharisee of Pharisees who wanted to kill out all Christianity. He hated it. 
He hated it so much that he literally did that. He killed Christians. And then one day, as he's on his way to a city to continue that persecution, Jesus shows up. And Paul has a really fun time with him. And Paul realizes that Jesus is real. But all the early church were like, I don't know about this guy. You know, he's fresh out of prison, basically, kind of thing of just, we don't really trust him. So he had to go through a time where he had to show over and over and over again, no, man, I am radically, radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love him. I have, I have basically had the gospel downloaded into my brain. And, man, he is going out and he is reaching people. And he finally gets to a point where some of these other believers like Peter go, you know what? He says, man, they gave him the right hand of fellowship. And they said, you know what? You're a part of this. We understand that God has called you to go out to the Gentiles, those that weren't Jews, and guys like Peter over here, he's, he's called Peter, he's going to go to the Jews. And so it sounds like a really good moment where people are becoming unified. But then you get verse 11. But when Cephas, this is the name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Peter... He's reaching out to the Jewish community, but he's starting to get a little bit open with some of these Gentiles. And you have to understand, you want to talk about conflict, Jews and Gentiles just did not mix well together. It was oil and water. And yet, Peter is watching what happens when the gospel goes out, and he's going, hey, it's not about our race. It's not about that anymore. It's about the fact that we are children of God. And he starts spending some time with them. But then when some other Jews start coming around, he starts pulling back. It's that time where it's like you don't want to be seen with a certain crowd, and it gets really awkward. And so he draws back, and Paul looks at this, and Paul's like, that's not okay. Like, we're not called to separate ourselves from these Gentiles. We're called to reach out to them. We don't look at them as second-class citizens. We look at them as brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. And so Paul does the things that we talked about. He acknowledged the issue, and very quickly, I love it, says, man, he, he goes to, to Peter and says, I opposed him to his face. That's some boldness, all right? Let's remember Peter, that really sweet guy who, when Jesus was being arrested, cut a dude's ear off, right? If you're not familiar with that story, Jesus is being arrested, and Peter thinks, I'll just take care of this, draws a sword, hacks a dude's ear off. I love it. Jesus goes, quit that, picks the ear up, puts it back on the guy because he's Jesus. It's one of those just random little bits in the Bible. But this is Peter. Like, he's not someone that I feel like you would just want to go, I need to have a face-to-face conversation. But Paul goes, look, I love you enough to acknowledge that what you're doing right now is sinful. And so sometimes conflict needs to happen. Like if you look into someone's life and you go, man, I see you struggling with this. I know it's not right. In love, we approach that person. And sometimes, yes, that will bring about a little bit of conflict. But Paul knows that this needs to happen. But he does so with love and grace in his mind. He doesn't go on and on and on in Galatians talking about how I just kept shouting him down. I kicked him out and all this kind of stuff. 
No, he addresses the issue and he says, hey, what you're doing right now, we're going to have some conflict over it because what you're doing right now does not belong to the truth of the gospel. And that's not what we need to be teaching these people. This isn't the actions that we need to be teaching this early church. It needs to look a little different. And so sometimes conflict needs to happen, but the goal is always grace. The goal in conflict is not to just win the argument. Hopefully, the goal is that, you know what, there can be some restoration here. And we want that. We hope for that. Like, we, we hope that even in the midst of conflict, something beautiful comes out of it. Because that's literally the story of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Think about the conflict that Jesus had in his life. He had people that constantly berated him. Constantly did not believe in what he was saying. Constantly tried to harm him physically and mentally. Over and over and over again, Jesus' life with the people that were around him was just a constant time of conflict. And yet, it's written, yet for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus looked at that conflict, and he looked at those people, and he didn't see, how can I be right? He saw salvation at the end of it. He saw restoration. He saw restoration for mankind to be able to have a relationship with God through him. And so his conflict wasn't about me being right, it was a, which he was. He was Jesus. But it was about, you know what, there's going to be a resolution, and this resolution is going to allow mankind to know what it looks like to be forgiven, what it looks like to have grace. And that's what we're celebrating and worshiping here today, the fact that that restoration is possible that you and I can have a relationship with God only through Jesus Christ. We have lived in conflict with God constantly because our sin is in direct, just rails against his holiness. And yet God said, you know what? I'm going to make a way for conflict to have a resolution, and that resolution will be grace. And so we kind of have to ask, I wonder if that conversation produced grace. Because I don't know if anyone has ever opposed you to your face. Um, sometimes we have phases we have to go through, right? Like if someone comes and tells me, Jamie, you're doing this wrong, I don't immediately go, you're right. I go, well, let me tell you the things you're doing wrong. Like we go through that. Like this is one of those moments where Peter and Paul could have just said, you know what, forget you, I'm out of here. And yet, look in 2 Peter chapter 4. I'm sorry, chapter 3. These are Peter's words. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of the lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and the day of eternity. So yeah, Peter got called out. And Peter had that opportunity where he could have said, you know what, let's write Paul out of this. Because sometimes you're Paul. Sometimes you're the one who's having to go to somebody and say, hey, in love, I need to talk to you. And sometimes you're Peter. And sometimes people are coming to you going, I love you, but we need to talk about this. 
And this is one of those moments, man, Peter could. Like everyone knew Peter. It's a rock in which Jesus is building this church. And he could have said, let's, let's, get, let's get rid of Paul. Let's just write him out. But he listened. And obviously he and Paul had a grace moment. And there was restoration. And even in his own letters he says, hey, live at peace and do the things that my brother Paul talked about. And I love that he said, and there are some things in that matter that are hard to understand. Even Peter, who like is one of these super apostles essentially is like, have y'all read Romans? Like <laughs> Paul gets into some deep, deep stuff. It's kind of hard to understand, but trust him on it. He knows what he's talking about. He wasn't mad. He accepted that grace. In a couple weeks, we're going to look at some moments where Paul literally had to be called by God and God called him out and said, hey, you're looking at people and thinking they're unclean and indifferent and it's not right. And Paul received that, or Peter received that grace. And he started reaching out and loving on people the way that the gospel calls us to. So sometimes you're Paul, but other times you're Peter. So if someone comes to you in love and says, hey, we're not seeing eye to eye on this. This is not just some arguing for arguing's sake, but hey, I see this in you and it's, it's got to be different. It's where we want to live in grace. We want to live in restoration of a relationship and not let conflict tear us apart. Because when we receive that at times, you get to look like Peter does at the end and go, hey, you need to live at peace. You need to be found without spot or blemish whenever Christ returns. And that's what happens when we do it in a biblical way. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, even this morning, I have no doubt some of us didn't see eye to eye with somebody this week. Could be for a lot of different issues. God, I pray that we would be a people of peace. That we would hear those words of Paul and say, man, I'm, I'm striving for peace. Striving for unity. So that the world can see that and go, how do you have that? It's only through Christ. And God, as we do see conflict come up at times, I pray that it pushes us to think in new, great ways. I pray that it pushes us to seek out your answers first and not our own. And God, then we get to watch what you do where you just blow things up and make it all about your glory. And God, as we sit down with people, I pray that we will see grace in our conversations. Yeah, that we'll approach it with love. And the thing that we hope for is always restoration. Because you've made that possible for us. If you're in here today or you're watching online and you don't know what that restoration and grace looks like, it's this. We are sinful people and that separates us from God. It puts us in conflict with him. And there's nothing that we can do about it. Going to church, being a good person, that just doesn't change it. But God made a way. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life. And at the end of it was crucified to pay the price for our sin, to satisfy that justice side of God. And when we acknowledge that and say, hey, I want to turn from my own life and I want to follow him, we are made into a new creation. And so if that's you today and you say, I, I, I need that, maybe it's just saying... God, as best as I know how, I want to 
I want to turn away from my old life. I want to acknowledge that I am a sinful person, but I want to turn away from that, and I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. If that's you, man, we celebrate that. We want to, we want to talk to you about it. I would encourage you to put that on a Connect card. We'll get in touch with you. We just want to celebrate and talk about what's next after that. But for many of us today, God, I pray that we will be a people that, even in conflict, are gracious because you've been gracious to us. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.